Welcome to Diggin' the Dharma, where we dig into the Buddhist Dharma and explore ways to bring these 2,500-year-old teachings into our lives. I'm Doug Smith of Doug's Dharma on YouTube and the online Dharma Institute. And I'm John Aaron, teacher at New York Insight Meditation Center and mindfulness-based stress reduction teacher and teacher trainer and founder of Space to Meditate. Well, good morning, John. Good morning, Doug. Happy to be here. Happy yeah. to be here. A graying day, but a nice day. Ah, uh, it's nice I up think. here where yeah. I am. Yeah, I, uh, pretty. But it's fine. I have to be inside most of the day anyway. So, yeah. unlike you, who has a nice yard. And, <laughs> although we have a courtyard, so I can't really sure. complain. Well, the problem with the yard is that we haven't got any rain. We, 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 it's going to rain tomorrow. I know, I know. But, yeah, but it hasn't rained for two weeks, and it's not going to rain for another week after this. So, it's just, you know, I don't know. We, we get into these anyway. It's let's not get into warming. the climate. That'll that's a whole other discussion. Global warming. Yeah, we can we can talk about that on another podcast. Although maybe it's relevant to what we were kind of leaning into, uh, which was uh, something prompted by by um, someone who left us uh, uh, a message, comment, a comment on our our website, <clears throat> and you know, uh, it was a really good comment following the secular Buddhist. Uh, um, podcast we did what yep. is secular is there is it is it a thing i think is what i <laughs> called it and um yeah just so you know we, we we create these podcasts and then doug edits them and he puts them in a particular place and <clears throat> and then i look at the title and i say well this maybe we could tweak this <laughs> we could a make bit. a better one <laughs> right just, so yeah is this a thing um taken from well anyway <laughs> so the comment was about the magical thinking that that uh, the, the meta you know, sometimes yeah, yeah that, that happens in Buddhism and, mm -hmm. and and in particular maybe how that relates into loving kindness meta practice mm -hmm. um, and we, and we were talking earlier about like supernatural stuff that that descriptions that are used in the suttas and mm -hmm. and there certainly in the early suttas they exist and very much so in the later suttas I mean it's kind of part of the beauty of some of these later suttas. Mm -hmm. But in terms of one's own practice and in relation, say, to secular Buddhism, secular, quote, secular Buddhist practice versus those of us who uh, may have come to it in a secular way, but actually have, I mean, that might be my case. I, you know, I sort of came to it initially from a kind of place of non-religion, let's put it that way. But as I became more involved and more informed and my own practice deepened. I wouldn't say necessarily that my, that I've experienced anything supernatural or magical, but I, I get it. And I, and I can understand how certain practices lead to certain experiences that, and those experiences, you know, inform us of something else. And, and I think that's, what's important. And in terms of, of meta practice, there are so many ways that that's been interpreted and, and, and as it's taught by various people, you know, there's, <clears throat> there are various responses to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think he was sort of, um, the commenter and by the way, we, we love comments. So feel, please feel free to comment on anything that we, you know, that or, we talk about. Yeah. Or comment on the comments. <laughs> or comment, whatever. Yeah, sure. Yes. Feel free. But, uh, I think one of the things he was getting at was just, that metta can be interpreted in different ways, and sometimes people will push on one or another. Uh, one of the ways it can be interpreted is that we 
sort of by performing loving-kindness practice, we are, in a sense, directly changing the world, uh, that our cultivation of this beneficial state sort of radiates out and literally changes the world directly simply by our having thought of these things. And uh, that, you know, can be interpreted in, certainly can be interpreted in a kind of a, a magical or supernatural way that we sort of change the, you know, change the world through our thoughts. But it can also be uh, understood in a more sort of, I would say, naturalistic way that, you know, by cultivating these beneficial thoughts, we also cultivate good actions in ourselves. And other people can see these good actions, can, can, can witness our countenance and our face and how we act with them and how we speak with them. And, and it's through that way that we change the world. So there's different, and I mean, I, you know, my background is, is secular, my preference for practice is secular, but I can certainly, I think it's a broad tent, and I think everyone should find the way in that they find most congenial. I have my own, other people have theirs. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, I think that was, that's, I guess, the major. Well, also, I think this idea of, and, and of course, that word radiate, I don't, I don't actually, maybe you know what the poly word is that was translated into radiate. But it's co it's commonly used in the in the translations of the Metta Sutta for sure, yeah. And some of the other Metta uh, chants. Speaking from my own experience, I mean, it turned out that my very first retreat that I went on was a Metta retreat, and and I thought it was really weird. <laughs> it can seem that, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I can know, understand that. I spend that. like all day, and all my meditations repeating these phrases. Mm -hmm. And yet, you know, when it was over, something had changed. And, you know, as that continued, something kept changing. And, and as, as, you know, we were discussing earlier, you know, like just as an example, this wasn't necessarily from the Metta Sutta, but, or from the Metta retreat, but, you know, as some, some people, and I, I kind of consider myself in this category, like some people are dog people. Right. And, you know, dogs sense it. And when a dog person meets a dog, the dog knows that it's a dog person and, and responds <laughs> in a certain way. Right? Some people are cat people and the same thing, you know, uh, a dog person. <laughs> I think, I think dogs are more emotive perhaps in their, in their understanding of this, but, um, and cats are more subtle and you obviously are, are, <laughs> You know, they, they, you appreciate that, the subtlety. And um, at the same time, you know, and I've never, w we can think of people who, um, photographers, wildlife photographers or, uh, or scientists, you know, and, and they develop a way of, of, or they cultivate a way of, of being in the presence of wildlife that is unthreatening. Mm. And so wildlife isn't afraid of them and they aren't afraid of the wildlife. Because, of course, as soon as you show fear to an animal or to, a, I mean, to any animal, if you show fear, the dog, the animal will respond accordingly. It will attack very likely or, or it will, uh, you're, you're putting yourself at risk. Let's, let's just say that. On the other hand, if you show confidence and if you show kindness, something changes. Now, if that can happen, you know, between me and an animal, me and a dog or and obviously, hopefully, with between me and other people, 
you know, on a close basis, then for somebody who's highly awakened, why wouldn't that radiate that much further out? And so I always see that magical thinking as being more of being open to the possibility that something can happen, that it can uh, shift. Mm. Um, that, that, yes, my, my radiation of kindness might have an impact on somebody I don't even know just through the way kindness is passed on from one person to another. It also goes back to that, what is the image of the butterflies? Oh, yeah, sure. The, the butterfly in South America that flapping its wings, yeah, chaos theory kind of thing to right. change the world. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, there, there's, there's something to that, I suppose, you know, that we just don't know. And it's, it's to me, the magical thinking or the, or the mystical thinking for that matter is just being with that, not knowing, you know, so, okay, I'm, I'm just going to open up to this possibility and I'm not going to worry about whether it's true or not, but I'm just going to see what happens. How does sure, it impact sure. my way of being? Yeah. I mean, and me? the same idea can be understood, I think, very naturalistically as the beneficial loving kindness, kindness that I demonstrate to people around me puts them at ease, makes them more likely to be kind to the next person they right, see, exactly. in the same way that if I uh, if I blow up at somebody, they're going to be agitated and angry, and yeah. so the next person they see, they might get angry with that they wouldn't have been angry with before just because they're already agitated. Right. So these things, in a very understandable way, can ripple outwards uh, to people that we don't know and don't see and have no interaction with. Yeah. And in that way, I think it's, to me anyway, understandable how uh, loving-kindness practice can have a wider influence than we might initially think. I mean, I think in the, in the early, I mean, in the early texts, loving-kindness is sometimes framed as a, a kind of a protective mantra uh, that you, that you uh, uh, either say certain words or you practice this kind of, again, radiation practice, which is sort of the earliest way of, of practicing it. And that simply in doing that, that sort of animals, uh, particularly threatening animals around you, would be less likely to attack. I mean, again, from my own perspective, that's because, as you said, you're being less threatening to them. You're you're showing them a kind face, as it were. You're not being, you know, you're not running at them or something or running sure. away from them. Yeah. But I mean, th there's also a very uh, open interpretation that there, you know, that it really is kind of a Energy. You know, yeah, it's sort of an a, a sort of supernatural energy because, yeah. I mean, the distinction between the natural and the supernatural is really a very recent one. It's sort of coming from probably the 18th century in mm. Europe. I mean, mm. it's not something that the Buddha would have, I mean, it just that's not a, those aren't concepts that would right. have existed back right. then. Right, right. So there's, you know, if you ask, were to ask the Buddha what the distinction is between the natural and the supernatural, he wouldn't have had any idea because that's not a, it's just not something that exists in Pali. You know, you can't, you can't even translate the idea back there. So, I think we have to be careful not to be, um, what's the word, uh, um, you know, the, you know, uh -oh. bringing the bringing the front the the the, the modern into the old age. Yeah. What is yeah. I, um, ah. I'm not coming up with a word either. It'll come up after you after we hit stop. <laughs> yeah. um, 
Well, I mean, but, and then anachronistic. Thank yeah. you, anachronistic. Okay, and then the other the other part of this, I think, is shraddha or faith, mm. because I know in some of the, the training that I had in the last number of years with one of my teachers, Kitasaro, who you know was very much embedded into the forest Thai forest tradition as a monk, but also uh, because. He came in contact with a Chan practice, Kuan Yin practices around compassion, which involved a lot of mantras, very long mantras, but also very short mantras, um, which themselves were protective mantras and healing mantras. And by, you know, repeating these mantras, uh, it had an impact certainly on his health. And there was one mantra in particular that I learned in this training that I tend to, it's very short, it's like five lines, uh, that I sort of took in and, and, you know, I mean, I certainly used it when I was going into, into surgery, but I'll use it when I'm riding on my motorcycle. You know, it's like, and it's just like, okay, I don't know what this is going to do for me or if, you know, what it does at all, but I'm going to see what happens. You know, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to do it and see how it feels to do whatever power this mantra has. I may know it, I may not. It's, it's you know, we don't, we, we put it out there and we, and we just have faith that something may happen. And so well, this, it could also help calm your mind. I mean, just by oh, the mantra and, itself definitely does that, and that yeah. can be helpful to many things, but riding yeah. in a mice, motorcycle or <laughs> uh, reducing stress before uh, an operation. I mean, there are. Mm-hmm. Can be very real. I mean, that is to say, uh, immediately understandable kinds of effects, right? Um, yeah. That are beneficial, right? And so there's the calming of the body that the mantra definitely impacts. You know, if I'm if I'm doing it on my motorcycle and I'm 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 hoping it impacts all the drivers around me so that they don't they <laughs> yes. aren't you know do doing idiotic things uh, that you know cause good luck could in cause New York. Me problems. <laughs> I don't ride much in the city, but, but, um, you know, there is something to that. And, and, uh, yeah, it's just, again, it's, it's, it's stepping into the mystery of it with interest and with some faith that something happens. I mean, that's, that's my approach to these practices. And at the same time, it does have an impact on the physiology. So it's both and, and I think it's important in practice to kind of recognize what we don't know, but accept that there's something we don't know that may be happening and not worrying about it one way or the other, but it isn't helpful to put up resistance to the possibility. That doesn't right, help. Right. For sure. And I think it's worth, I mean, unless a practice, it just strikes you as, as unethical for some reason, which yeah. some of them may, there's no reason not to try, you know, just to try to see and see how you like it. Uh, you know, for myself, I began in Zen and did a lot of sort of Zen, you know, following the breath and just sit and all that stuff. And, you know, when I was at university, had that one experience with with a chanting with a, a different Buddhist school, which I won't name. It, it was definitely different. And, and just like with you, with the metta practice, the first time you went to metta, when I was sitting doing the chanting practice, it was very strange. Uh, it was very unusual to me. And... At the beginning, it was kind of, you know, foreign in a, in a in a way that struck me as I didn't I didn't particularly like it at the beginning. But then, as it continued, and we were chanting for probably I don't know exactly how long, but probably half an hour, or maybe forty five minutes, 
you know, as I got into it, I kind of, you know, I kind of thought it was not, not a bad thing. I mean, you know, it was, it was, you know, and, and I think that's an example of where sort of being open to a new practice can be, can be beneficial because you'll find, you often find or can find that the practice uh, uh, gives you things that you hadn't anticipated that they would uh, at the, at the start or, you know, the first five, the first five minutes, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And one thing chanting does for sure is keeps anything else from coming up uh, yeah, while you're uh -huh. doing it, which is helpful. And, you know, that may be enough for, for a lot of people and that's great. And it is fun in the later sutras to kind of, you know, read about the, the various powers of the Buddha. Last week I was, it was Mother's Day and I had, I had I gave a very brief talk. I wouldn't even call it a talk. I was reading some of the teachings of Deepa Ma. Mm -hmm. Now Deepa Ma, who died I think in the early nineties, was a you know, one an amazing woman, clearly. She was influential in in the lives I know of of Joseph Goldstein and Sharon Salzburg. She was a student of Manindraji's, was actually a friend of her family, as it turned out. And, you know, allegedly her meditative accomplishments were such that she could, you know, be floating in the air and meditating, you know, levitating through walls and things like that. I don't know if any of that's true. I wouldn't try it myself. And it doesn't really matter whether it's true or not. Clearly, this was a, a very special being. Uh, the, the meditation just, the, the meditation practices that she learned obviously brought her to a different level altogether. She was, you know, quite quite remarkable even before any of that. And it, it's fascinating too, because even if we go to the basic teaching around anatta, around non-self, once we kind of have a glimpse of that, we see that it, it opens up all sorts of potential. And in a sense, that potential is unlimited. <laughs> Not in a sense. I mean, that potential is unlimited. You know, and so... What does that mean? I don't know. But, you know, I'm open to finding out and just kind of letting that potential unfold as it does for this being and, and you know, for other beings. So, but, you know, until that's seen, then we kind of are stuck, right? And I recognize that, you know, and, and there are, God knows there are plenty of new spiritual traditions, I would I would say, you know, that have their share of faux mysticism, I, I guess, just for lack of a better word, or at least it seems that way. But I mean, I, I, I don't really know because I, I'm not, I don't take part in these things. So, or at least I don't anymore. There were times, you know, early on in my life when I might have. And, and yet even then, like for some people, something happens. And so the moral of the story for me is just be open. <laughs> and, you know, as long as I'm in this you know, I've, I've I've accepted most of the teachings of this tradition, if not all of the teachings that I know. You know, then I I can be open to whatever they lead to. Right, and I think also um, openness. I mean, as far as our own practice is concerned, it's it's important, of course, to be open. But it's also there's nothing wrong with saying that you prefer certain practices over right. others, yeah. which may change. You know, right now I prefer one practice. Maybe a year ago I preferred a different one, and mm -hmm. a year from now I'll prefer something else. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think the openness should also extend to saying, look, uh, uh, you know, 
as long as people aren't hurting each other, <laughs> then or themselves know, or themselves, yeah. then be open to somebody else doing a different practice. You know, oh, yeah. and Absolutely. and I think that that sometimes well that sometimes that this lack of openness comes across in certain. On, at least online discussions, you know, kind of a thing of, of, you know, my practice is better than yours or whatever, you know, or, you know, however it might come yeah, across. That does happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's best if you can sort of try to, I would say, filter that kind of stuff out. <laughs> uh, I mean, the Buddha always talked about, you know, your own practice is your own practice and don't worry what the person next to you is doing. Um, right. Let them do what they want. And I think this is one of the things that perhaps this our commenter, the commenter was referring to, perhaps, I don't know, but maybe, is sometimes you will go and there'll be a talk and uh, in Buddhism and you don't agree with everything in the talk, you know? They say things, you're, you're kind of like, well, I don't know about that. So, okay, so you don't agree with it. Does it really matter? I mean, when it comes to uh, supernatural abilities, which the Buddha certainly discussed in the early texts, they're not the point of the practice. Right. And even the Buddha would have said that. Uh, yes, they come up as you get more, supposedly, uh, supposedly they come up as you get more experience, but that's not enlightenment. <laughs> that's not nirvana. <clears throat> yeah. It's just a distraction, you know, and it can be a distraction for some people. And so, whether you think they're real or not, uh, I tend to be dubious, but that's okay. So other people think they're real, fine. But in either case, uh, it's it's not the point of the practice. And right. so... You know, if you don't get hung up over it either way, I think is the point. And there's no reason to get hung over, hung up over it in in, in Buddhism because either way, it's not the it's not the goal. Yeah, leave it yeah. aside. Yeah, you yeah. Know. And you know, if you end up levitating, great. And if you end up levitating, let us know Enjoy about it. it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but yeah, that doesn't mean you've been, you know you've achieved anything more than the ability to levitate. Right. Um, yeah. And so I, I like the notion, as you point out, that, or just the, the realization that uh, supernatural and natural wouldn't have, you know, that's a, that's a dichotomy that wouldn't have existed and still doesn't exist in many societies, of course, you know, and that's true. I mean, it's all supernatural in a sense, or it's all natural. Um, you know, it's just. Uh, it's just the Dharma, just the way things are. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So. Um, and, you know, the same thing could be said, I suppose, about magical thinking, but uh, that has another interpretation, of course. But, you know, what's magic and what isn't? And, you know, we can, setting up these, these, these dichotomies doesn't necessarily help us in that sense. And the Buddha always said, see what happens. Try it and see what happens. Yep. You know, mm -hmm. make up your own mind, which is, yeah. That's the best Good approach. advice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, well, we hope this has been helpful and not too confusing. And we would love to hear about your your uh, uh, your own experiences and, and what you've discovered. And feel free to leave us comments. Maybe we'll discuss them in a few in a, few, yeah, in yeah. a future uh, yeah, podcast. Exactly. While you're at it, you can buy some coffee. <laughs> yeah. You know, as people have been doing, which is lovely. Sweet um, of them. Hope this has been helpful, and we look forward to seeing you next time on Digging the Dharma. Our website is diggingthedharma.com. Doug, a pleasure as always. Good to spend time with you, John. Okay. Farewell. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on your podcast directory. And please check us out at diggingthedharma.com, where you can leave a comment 
buy us a coffee, and even become a member. You can find out more about me, John Aaron, at johnaaron.net, and Doug at dougsdharma.com. 